Show MPR Radio Network ready for the second hour of the program. Lots to go over. Hopefully, we'll be joined in a little bit by Kirk Jimenez, SNY personality, television anchor, does a great job for SNY. Um, once again, we'll be at Bogey's Tavern next week in um, what do you call it? Egg Harbor, New Jersey. Another good show planned. Towards the end of the show today, I'm going to reveal how I am that guy. When it comes to something that you know a lot of people get annoyed about and other people are bothered by stupid things that people do, and I I do my share of stupid things. Trust me, there's no question about it. You can't deny it. You know the fact that you know you don't if you don't. I mean, the bottom line is I do stupid things every day, and this is something that I stand behind 100 percent. And I am that guy when it comes to certain situations. But I'll reveal at the end of the show. Listen, the Chicago White Sox. Played in New York Yankees this weekend at Yankee Stadium, of course, culminating with old-timers day on Sunday, which is always a joyous occasion, not just for the Yankees and their players and their fans, but a team that really does old-timers day like the New York Yankees. There's no team that has the tradition, the players that have come in and out all these years. And unfortunately, you know, some of them, uh, you know, have, have left us, you know, a guy like Bill Scourin, who was a very good player, known for as a very long attendee of Old Timers Day, of course, passed away within the the, the recent year. You know, kind of sad, but you know they 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 do they do Old Timers Day the right way, and I don't think any other team can do what they do when it comes to it. But um, the Chicago White Sox, of course, are one of the surprises this year. We talked about the Mets before. We talked about the Baltimore Orioles in past shows. Other teams that have surprised, they've lived up maybe a little higher than expectation, and one team that's kind of grabbed the ball and ran with it. And you, the more you look at them, the more you realize that this team is not half bad, and that's the Chicago White Sox. I think the major issues that they had coming into the season was, you know, what are you going to do with Adam Dunn, a guy who hit under 200 last year, guy couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag last year after having all those 40 home run seasons and being one of the premier power hitters in a game of baseball. Signs a big contract, was terrible last year. But listen, Adam Dunn is back. Adam Dunn could actually set a career high in home runs this year. He's got, what, 25 so far? I mean, here's a guy that might be able to hit 50 this year, and he's never done that before. He's, I think he, his high was, what, 44, 46? But the bottom line is Adam Dunn is back. Paul Konerko. And Paul Konerko is, in my opinion, one of the players that gets the least amount of credit for being a superstar. And he really is. For what the guy has done since he's put the Chicago White Sox uniform on, he has represented that franchise in a classy and intelligent way. The guy knows the game and is one of the better leaders in any clubhouse in a game of baseball. And, you know, I, I've, I've taken some crap when it comes to people saying, hey, you don't want to point out his numbers. Listen, his numbers speak for themselves. Do I got to sit there and talk about, you know, what he's doing this year, how he's hitting 340, 350, how he's always hitting home runs? He's, always, he's a 3,100 guarantee. I mean, listen, if you follow baseball, you know what Paul Konerko does numbers-wise on a year-in and year-out basis. But the bottom line is the team revolves around this guy. This is the leader. This is a centripetal player that you need to have on your team. And the team revolves around him. The team also responds to Paul Konerko. 
and especially when you're dealing with a young manager in Robin Ventura who has no experience coming into this year, you need a player that can lead like that. And Paul Konerko has had more of an impact, in my opinion, uh, for what he does as a leader to what he's actually done on a field. And obviously, he leads by example. So that that's part of the reason, which is good. But you know, for what this guy does in the clubhouse and what he does being the the team that you know the guy that the team is centered around, is actually done more than what he's done on the field, and he's done a lot. But you look at the rest of that team. Jake Peavy. Here's a guy who was thought to be another bad contract that the White Sox picked up. A guy who really could have been released within the last couple of years, as bad as he was pitching and as much as he was battling through the injuries. But he's back, and he's pitching as well as he did with San Diego. And that certainly helps out. you got guys like John Danks and Gavin Floyd and Phil Humber, the owner of a perfect game this year. I think the only issue you have with the White Sox is the bullpen. And I'm sorry, I, I, I can't walk over without mentioning Chris Sale. Because Chris Sale is on my fantasy baseball team. I predicted he was going to have a good year as a starter, and I am friggin' right about that. The guy looks to be as good you know, as good of a third starter, if that's what he is. He might even be higher, but he, he's looking as good as anything. The team runs five starters out there. They got a good offense. Of course, they just added Kevin Euclid. And listen, that could help them. That could hurt them. I think, I think you know, Boston and unfortunately the media, at, you know, is looking to, for scapegoats. And I think he's getting, he got a little bit of a bad rap over the past season with the, with the Boston Red Sox. Yes, the guy speaks his mind. Yes, the guy is passionate. But he is not a clubhouse cancer. You want to talk about clubhouse cancer, there's other players on the Boston Red Sox that were more of a cancer than Kevin Euclid. Now, the bottom line is when it came down to performance, the Boston Red Sox are better off running uh, Will Middlebrooks out there at third base every day. And that's the bottom line. You know, Euclid's hitting about 210, 220. Middlebrooks is tearing the cover off the ball. Should be the rookie of the year. If he's not, he's certainly going to finish in the top two or three. And the Red Sox are going to be better off this year and obviously the future, but they're better off right now with Will Middlebrooks playing third base. And they're also better off with Adrian Gonzalez, who was a gold glove first baseman, playing first base and not right field. So, you know, when you've got a guy like David Ortiz, who's your DH, and nobody else is going to DH but him, really lives, leaves few places that you could put Kevin Euclid. And Kevin Euclid, at this stage of his career, is still an everyday player. He's a guy who is not going to be his best when he's a role player, when he's playing a couple times a week. So the Red Sox did the right thing by moving him sooner rather than later, and they move him to a team in Chicago who, number one, is leading their division, and number two, can use him. They could use his bat in the lineup. you got guys like Konerko and Dunn and some of the other guys. Pruszynski's been okay. Gordon Beckham, eh, he's been all right. Alexei Ramirez, guys like that. And you, put, you can put him at third base. I know that's not ideal. And you're thinking, ideally, do you really want Kevin Euclid playing third base? He hasn't played it terribly. He's not a terrible third baseman. It's not like we're putting Daniel Murphy there every day. You know, here's a guy that can play defense. He's not going to be a gold glover, but he could be a regular third baseman. And, you know, I think it's going to be a good situation for him in Chicago. He goes to a team that's winning. And honestly, I really feel, and I didn't feel like this at the beginning of the season. If you watched my, if you checked out my blog and my MLB predictions, my thirty to one MLB countdown, I was not so high on the White Sox. Was I wrong? Yeah, absolutely. I'm saying I'm wrong right now. I did not see the ability of the veteran players for the Chicago White Sox to to do what they're doing. 
And I said I said it all along, and I fully believe that it, the team revolves around Paul Konerko. And, you know, a rookie manager like Robin Ventura who didn't have any experience, I, I saw with all these veteran players, I saw the potential for a problem. And it's gone the exact opposite. Dunn has been Adam Dunn. Jake Peavy has been Jake Peavy. And this team is not that bad. Ken Williams did not do a terrible job constructing this team. It was a matter of the players not producing. And for Adam Dunn to do what he did last year, listen, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. that you could, you, could get a, you could get a president, a general manager, a manager, and all those coaches fired by performing the way Adam Dunn did last season. And there's no question about it. There's nothing you could do, you know, other than Adam Dunn to turn it around, and that's what he did. Dunn, Peavy, Listen, they're they're two fat they're two wild cards, they're two factors that I don't think anybody else would have seen. And they're performing the way they are. The the bull the the bullpen has been okay. They don't really have a straight closer. They've gone with a couple different guys, whether it's Addison Reed, whether it's uh Santiago, whether it's Matt Thornton, uh Jesse Crane. They got they got some guys that could throw, but they don't really have a dominant closer. I think they'll be in the mix for a reliever, particularly if they remain where they are. And the fact that the Detroit Tigers have been terrible this year. And I don't know if that's going to last all year. I think you look at the Yankees who are struggling for a while, all of a sudden clicked it on, and we understand why we're one of the best teams in the game. I think the same thing could happen with the Tigers. But if it doesn't, who's going to win that division? Are the Cleveland Indians going to win that division? I think the Indians got a good team. I like the team that they have. I like the way they've put their players in. They play well together. But they don't really have the knockout punch. I don't think they have the ability. They don't have a showstopper as a, as a starter. Justin Matherson, Masterson is still getting there. But they don't have a legitimate ace. They don't really have anybody in the lineup that you look at and be like, hey, we're facing the Indians. We've got to get this guy out. There's, there's a lot of good players, but there's no great players. You know, A guy like Carlos Santana can be a great player. A guy like you know, Jason Kipnis, the shortstop, Cabrera. You know, those, they could be very good players. But I, I don't. I, if if I'm a team, I'm not scared of the Cleveland Indians winning the division in the American League Central. I think they could be in it for the wild card. I think if they win enough games, they certainly should be considered. But the White Sox right now really look like the premier team in that division, and I absolutely could not have said that early on the season. I really didn't feel that that was going to happen. I thought it was a questionable move bringing in a guy like Robin Ventura, but it turns out that you know, listen, Jerry Reinsdorf. Kenny Williams, those guys know a little bit more about the game than I do. And they made a good decision, and I'm happy that uh, you know, Ventura is having success with the White Sox. A former Met who you know, actually you know, was, was, a, was a great, was a very good New York Met. You know, I was kind of sad to see him traded before the 2002 season to the Yankees. You know, here's a guy that you know, was kind of quiet, but he, he quietly did his job. He was an excellent defensive third baseman. He, he was a good hitter. He's not a three or four hitter, but he was a very good hitter. And, you know, he's a guy I would have liked to see the Mets keep for another year or two. But, you know, best of luck to him. White Sox, I really think, in the second half are going to be a team that more people are going to start believing in and really think that they have a very good chance to to uh, do things in the uh, not only the AL Central, but, of course, the wild card and the entire American League. We're going to go back to, um, before I get into some of my blog postings, want to get into uh, Jamie Moyer a little bit. He's been a guy that I, I certainly am intrigued by because I, I like the fact that somebody is getting up there in age and all the critics are telling him to retire, and he's still going out there and doing it. I liked when Julio Franco did it. I didn't really like him his second year with the Mets. 
I kind of thought that he had certainly lost a lot of his game and was kind of done. But a guy like Jamie Moyer is going out there, and he pitched for the Rockies. He struggled. I think he earned his release by not pitching very well, and I wrote about it in my blog. And then he signs a minor league contract with the Orioles, goes out there to AAA and makes some very good starts. And then it, you know the time was up for him to either come to the majors or take his release, and he took his release. And you know, a guy that's you know, 49 years old doesn't need to be sitting in the minor leagues for two months. So I think he did the right thing there. I think he made the right decision. And now he finds himself with the Chicago, I'm sorry, the Toronto Blue Jays, a team that can use a starting pitcher. Now, listen, when you, when you, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays and you're thinking about Brandon Morrow being out and Kyle Drabeck being out for the season and all the injuries that they've suffered there, you're obviously thinking of adding a legitimate top of the rotation pitcher. And I said this in the offseason, the Toronto Blue Jays, the difference between them contending and them kind of just being a secondary team in that division is that they didn't have that one extra starter. You know, they got a good top of the rotation with Brandon Morrow and Ricky Romero. I know Morrow's hurt but now, but they have a very good number two. But they don't have a bona fide, legitimate number three guy that could pitch a big game at any day. And that's why, that's why I kind of felt that they were a little bit behind the other teams in that division. Now, if I said that they needed to make a move for a starter in the offseason, obviously they have to make a move right now. And I know if you're a Blue Jays fan, the guy that you don't really want to hear about is Jamie Moyer making his return in the major leagues. But right now he helps. And I don't think Jamie Moyer is going to win you know, you know, more games than he loses. I think he's a 500 pitcher right now at best. But has the ability to throw you know, six solid innings you know, almost every time out. He can give you quality starts. And that's what you look for when you're looking to fill out the back of your rotation as opposed to the top of your rotation. Top of the rotation, you're looking for a showstopper. You're looking for guys that are going to pitch you know, eight, nine innings when needed. Guys that are going to go out there and throw zeros on the board. The back of the rotation, you're looking for more quality starts. To give quality starts. I don't really, I'm not going to really sign up for the idea or the thought that the Colorado Rockies and Coors Field factored into Moyer's struggles because I don't think the way he pitches is something that's going to be affected by a high-altitude park. He, he spots the ball well. He gets a lot of ground balls. He really changes speeds and keeps you off balance. And if Jamie Moyer is not locating, the ball is not going out of just Coors Field. It's going out of any ballpark. So anybody that wanted to say, hey, you know, Moyer deserves a break because – he was pitching at Coors Field. You know, you have to look at his road stats, which were just as just as bad. And he did deserve his outright release. You know, here's a guy that probably was not going to pitch in the minor leagues for the Colorado organization. And, you know, listen, I would be real happy to see him make his debut with the Toronto Blue Jays, hopefully in a couple starts. The contract he signed, he's going to pick up a start or two in, um, what do you call it, in, in AAA. And then they'll make a decision whether to bring him up. The Blue Jays got some holes in the rotation, so this guy cannot hurt right now. They actually they actually took a chance on Chris Swindon, who pitched for the Mets this year and ended up releasing him. But you know they they need arms. They need somebody. They actually need somebody to step up in that rotation. They need a guy that's not named Ricky Romero or Brandon Morrow. You know Morrow will come back, and I think Morrow will be fine. But they need another pitcher to go out there and put fear in the Tampa Bay Rays, put fear in the New York Yankees, make. You know, these other teams think 
that it's not just about Romero and Mora. And obviously the goal is, and I really, I really do think, and I, I put them as the favorites to get you Darvish. I put them as the favorites to get Gio Gonzalez. Obviously, I was wrong on both accounts. But the bottom line is this. I really think they're going to make a push for a pitcher. And when you talk about the top available pitchers, a guy like Matt Garza is interesting. I could see the Jays getting him. I could see them being into uh, you know Ryan Dempster. I could see you know some other some other situations where you know top pitchers that are out there could go to the Toronto Blue Jays because I do think Alex Antropolis is looking to upgrade the starting rotation. And listen, I mean the Blue Jays really aren't about the future as much anymore. There's coming a certain time where they you have to talk about when is now. And when is now? I really don't know. I don't have an answer for you as far as when is right now. Is now next year? Is now now this year? Listen, they got to start thinking about the first part of things. When when are they going to turn it around? This is a team that's finished at or around 500 the last couple seasons. They have some players that are getting older now. Jose Bautista is not young anymore. Even Edwin Encarnacion, who has done a fabulous job for them this year, is certainly going to be an all-star, is not young either. And this is a team that is getting to be more about the now as opposed to the future. You know, the Tampa Bay Rays are probably more about the future than the, than the Jays. I understand they got some young pitchers. I understand there's some young players on this team. But they got to start thinking about when is it going to happen. You know, are the Yankees going anywhere in the next couple of years? We don't know. The Yankees could maintain their, their their run that they've had over the next five, ten years. And if they do that, where does that leave the Blue Jays? I, th- I think this is getting to a point where it's becoming a turning point in the operation of the Toronto Blue Jays to see where are they going. And honestly, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I can't tell you where this team's going to be this year. I think they're going to be competitive. I think they're going to be over five hundred, and I really think that they could compete for a wild card spot in the American League. But I do think they really need to consider making moves to upgrade the team to get them in a spot, get them in a situation where they can absolutely compete for the American League East. And if they if they could somehow be in a race for a wild card, I would expect them to make a move maybe for a bat. I understand the middle of their order is pretty sound with Batista and Encarnacion. And a couple of the other guys that they got, Aaron Sebia, et cetera, Kelly Johnson's okay, Escobar's all right, Kobe Rasmus, if he's you know, if he could regain what he was a couple of years ago with the Cardinals, can be pretty good. But I think they may need to add a bat, and they absolutely need to add a top of the rotation starting pitcher. And if that you know, if that happens then I think they'll be okay. Otherwise, listen, the Blue Jays actually might go back into obscurity and mediocrity. And that's not gonna be good. Because this is a team that's put a lot of stock in the development of their younger players over the last four or five years. And I really think they're hitting a turning point now as you wonder when is it going to happen? When is this team going to step it up? When is this team going to be a legitimate contender in the American League East? Not just a team that's hanging around the 500 mark. So I think it's something that's definitely worth thinking about. The other day on my Bases Empty blog, I talked a little bit about you know, and, and and one thing that really fascinates me is when we talk about trades made in Major League Baseball, and 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 I and I've always said you don't make a trade to try to screw the other team, but that's the way the fans make trades. When fans suggest 
trades. That's where the Mongs come in. That's where a fan becomes a Mong because they want to upgrade their team, but they don't want to give up anything to make their team better. They want to get the best player on another team for nothing. And I have a problem with that. I really do. I mean, even if you're, even if you're just, you know, for the, for the sake of a lack of education, you have to look at the other side and say a trade has to be made to benefit both teams. You know, and I had suggested that the Pineda-Montero trade was a fair trade. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out for the Yankees. I think you're going to have to wait a couple of years to see where both of these players end up to really make a decision. Obviously, the early warning signs are not very good. You know, you wonder if Pineda is going to be able to regain his arm strength once he comes back from his major shoulder operation. I understand that. But it does look like a fair trade on paper. A trade like the Yankees made when they acquired Curtis Granderson from the Tigers in exchange for Ian Kennedy who went to, uh, to Arizona. Really benefited all three teams involved because the Tigers got Max Scherzer. They got Austin Jackson. Of course, Kennedy won 20 games last year. And Granderson's been one of, one of the better players in the game over the past couple of seasons since he's joined the Yankees. So that's a fair trade. And I really kind of went back in time because I wanted to look and see what what a fair trade on paper was. And I really do think that the trade made in 1976 with the Boston Red Sox and the Milwaukee Brewers really on paper was a very good trade. But over time, it kind of went to be one-sided. And that was a trade that sent uh, first baseman, third baseman George Scott to the uh, Boston Red Sox in exchange for Cecil Cooper. And, of course, Cecil Cooper went on to have a very good career with the Milwaukee Brewers. He, he is known as a Milwaukee Brewer. He had his best seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers. But at the time, George Scott, who had played with Boston before, he came up with Boston in the, late, in the mid to late 60s and the early 70s and was traded in a 10-player trade to the Milwaukee Brewers in 1971. Ends up coming back to the Red Sox. He puts up a season where he leads the league in home runs and RBIs his first season and then kind of tails off. Two years later, he's out of the game which is kind of sad, but both teams benefited from this trade. Cecil Cooper, who was a young player at the time with the Red Sox, played in the 1975 World Series with the Boston Red Sox against the Cincinnati Reds, was a budding player, but the Red Sox thought that they wanted to get a little more offense from their first base position. And that's where Scott came in. And he led the league in home runs and RBIs in 1977. You know, obviously in 78, he only had 12 home runs, had some injuries. 79, he ends up getting traded to the Kansas City Royals and then finishes that season with the Yankees, hitting just 12 home runs that season. And the turn of the decade, 1980, he does not play another major league game. So unfortunately, you know, if you're the Red Sox, you were hoping you could have gotten a little more longevity out of George Scott. But it didn't happen. But he was a very good baseball player, actually finished his career with some respectable numbers, 271 home runs, 268 average, over 1,000 RBIs in 14 seasons, uh, 1,992 hits, 306 doubles, 767 OPS, 699 walks, 1,418 strikeouts. He was, he was the definition of a power hitter, and he actually had a very underrated career. I mean, numbers like that, he had about 2,000 hits. You know, he had almost 300 home runs. This was a guy who actually put up some decent numbers in his career and nobody really talks about. Obviously, he's not a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to even bring that up. But here's a guy that had a pretty good career. And you compare that to the career of Cecil Cooper, who hit 298 for his career. Almost a 300 hitter. He was a very good hitting first baseman. Was kind of in the shadow of guys like Robin Yount and Paul Molitor, 
who end up becoming Hall of Famers on that Milwaukee Brewer team. But, you know, the fans loved him. He put up some good numbers, 241 career home runs, 1,125 RBIs, 2,192 hits, 415 doubles, 807 OPS, 448 walks, 911 strikeouts. So he didn't really strike out that often, not, not as much as uh, George Scott, who was a, kind of an all-or-nothing type of player. But a very good job by uh, you know both players in this trade, and I really thought it was an even trade. But I'll put that on hold, and I'll welcome in SNY anchor Kirk Jimenez. Kirk, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. No problem. Hey, man, I appreciate you, you getting a chance, man. I know we went back and forth for a while, man. I appreciate you having a couple minutes to call in. Hey, man, we got to make it happen, right? Absolutely, man. I'm excited to have you on. One thing, one thing I've always enjoyed about you know you on SNY and just kind of following you a little bit is your enthusiasm, your energy, and stuff like that. And it's really something that carries on to to the others. Uh, let, let us know a little bit about what what brings this drive and this passion that you got for what you do. Uh, it's just you know I love sports. What uh, what sports junkie wouldn't love to watch sports on a nightly basis and then tell a story with them? I, I, I also like telling a story with video. That's why I love doing highlights. Yeah. Um, because I just love doing highlights, and and if you love what you do, I mean, it's easy to to bring the energy, and you got to, and it's easy to perform. You're not faking it. Um, if you love what you do, so I just bring it every night, and I don't believe in mailing it in. Everybody here at Desmond Studios who works um, the two late shifts with us at 10:30, our guy goes for tonight, and then the midnight, which rears in the morning, um, knows that I don't believe in mailing it in, and whoever's on my show is not mailing it in. I'll tell you that much. Graphics, everybody. No, absolutely, man, and you can definitely yeah. see it. Kind of, it kind of bleeds out of you when you watch it. You're like, you know, this guy, this guy has Thanks, it, has the friggin' energy, and I think, I think it's awesome. And, and you know, a guy like me who's, you know, making steps to, you know, become mm-hmm. something, I, I definitely feed off of that, and that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, why it's awesome to be able to talk to you today. Hey, you started out, you know, with with ESPN. Tell us a little bit about that and how how things worked out there, and you know what you what you learned, you know, being part of ESPN for a while. Now. Yeah, what an experience there. Um, no matter how what level of experience you are when you arrive at ESPN, um, it's just an amazing, incredible learning experience. Um, everybody who's there on, on a nightly basis, you know, you could have from Dusty Baker there to, um, I don't know, some Hall, Hall of Fame football players to, to, uh, to you know, the brightest of the brightest and the best of the best, and you can take their brains You're watching games with them. Uh, you're like, hey, coach, can you believe, you know, would you just saw break it down for me? And this, I mean, that's just off the set. <laughs> that's not even on the set. And then on the set, you're, you know, you're anchoring with uh, Hall of Fame analysts. And and uh, it's just, it was just surreal. And you learn so much and you absorb so much. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And you really, sub- uh, you know, submerge yourself in, in that, in that um, environment. And it is a campus. We call everybody there, calls it the Bristol Campus. And it's enormous, and it's just amazing to see um, from where they started to where they are now, all the, all the growth. And every, I think every summer there's a new building that pops up to the camp, for the campus, and it really feels like a college campus. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's, that sounds yeah. amazing. Just to be around that, I think you know, it definitely adds to your fire and for what you do. Now you end up you end up going to SNY. Tell us a little bit about the the change, and you know what was going through your mind as you ended up going into SNY. Um, well, on a personal basis, it was, um, it was a difficult transition. You go from Connecticut, you know, which is wide open spaces, to working and living in the city. And when I first moved here, I moved into Harlem. And, you know, just uh, the rat race and people living on top of people, it was just a big adjustment moving to New York. Um, but 
after you know a few months of that adjustment period, you start feeling like a New Yorker and you just start loving it. And I, now I look back and say, how did I ever live in that? You know, cricket, quiet um, Connecticut. You know, it's just so quiet. And um, the adjustment in in knowing New York sports when you're you're at ESPN, you have to know the basics about every team and about every sport, right? But then when you're in New York, the fans are so knowledgeable. You have to you have to know everything about every single local local team, from who's in the minors to who the minor league uh, managers are, etc. Um, so in a sense, it's a lot more challenging than being at ESPN, believe it or not, because you have to know these teams inside and out because uh, the sports fans are, are just so knowledgeable about their teams and um, they live and breathe and die, you know live and die by their teams too. So it, it, it was a challenge too as well just to get to know the, the teams that well because at ESPN you just you, you have to know enough about every other sport um, to make it you know to the show and and be knowledgeable enough to to talk about every single team in the bigs, in the NFL, even MLS, um, the X Games. I mean, you have to cover everything. So you can't know everything inside and out in that in-depth. It's impossible. Um, although some guys have their expertise there, and so you, you lean on each other. So that helps. But um, here, you know, as a solo anchor, you're on, your, you're on your own, and you better know the local teams inside and out. So that was a major adjustment profession. No, absolutely. I see how the adjustment yeah. is, is is definitely something big that you got to do there. Now, yeah. you know, going back to what you were saying, do you do you think it's do you think it's better to? And obviously, I, I think I think you're going to lean towards you know the the latter on this. But is is it you think you think it's better to just cover you know a little bit about everything, or to know you know teams like you know in the New York media, you know, in and out like you do? Well. um, the cool thing is knowing all the local teams. I mean, I, I still follow every other sport out there. Um, NASCAR, not as much. Because at, at Espen, you know, they really push NASCAR, so you have to know your NASCAR. Yeah. So my NASCAR knowledge is falling a little way, um, little bit off, but I still follow everything else. And every local um, media person here in New York, guys I've met on the field a few, the few times I get out of the anchor desk and get to go out and about, we all know all our national sports, but we just know these teams, um, you know, more intimately. And I think that's with with any local um, sports guy. Um, the difference is that you know most other cities don't have you know two teams in in every sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, you, you don't have nine professional teams to cover, so you don't have to worry about two or three teams. Whereas New York uh, sports people have to you know focus on two teams per sport, and then and then they're still very knowledgeable about what's going on in the rest of the league and and the rest of the sports world as well. Yeah, now the interesting thing is obviously there's always something going on, whatever season it is, whether it's baseball, mm-hmm. football, basketball, hockey, and you know you, you you work everything else in. Do you have do you have a preference of some uh, of a sport maybe you love or you enjoy a lot more covering than uh, than the others? I I mean I'm from Venezuela and down there our our national pastime is baseball. That's our number one passion. So I I grew up loving baseball, um, but then as I got older and moved to the states. Um, for some reason, I really fell in love with basketball as well. Um, and then as you get even older, you know, when I was a kid, the NFL was popular, but not what it, what it is now. Um, and the NFL, you know, just takes over your life after a while. So I love the NFL. I did baseball and, and NBA are number two. And I'm one of the few people who's a huge tennis fan. I love tennis. Like I was watching that Nadal match today. 
um, riveted, and uh, that, and then I was upset that they, they they waited half an hour to close the roof. I'm like, no, you're killing the doll with that move. So uh, I'm a big tennis fan as well. So I think in, in that order, um, I, I, you know, everybody loves the fall as well because you've got the NBA and the NFL. And then the dog days of summer, the days that you don't have any in local MLB games are are you know excruciating, really. <laughs> yeah. Now you're not. Mm-hmm. I guess I would assume you're not so much into hockey. You probably follow it enough to know what's going I mean, on. No, yeah, being in Venezuela, um, I didn't really get into hockey, and I really didn't get absorbed into hockey until '96 when the Panthers had the year of the rat down there. Um, but I, I, I'll watch a, a regular season game, but I'd rather go to an NHL game. I think it's the best sport in person. If you're sitting right behind the glass, I mean, nothing compares to that. I, I agree um, with you, man. Yeah, but uh, unless it's the Stanley Cup, I really don't – Stanley Cup playoffs, I really don't get, you know, that excited about uh, hockey because growing up in Miami, I mean, Panthers really. <laughs> no, I hear you. you know, he's, he's really passionate about the Panthers. And, and, and locally, I really love whenever the, the Rangers and Devils meet or, or the Rangers and Islanders meet or Devils and Islanders. It's, it's just um, – it has a playoff feel, so I, I really like those games. And, but uh, unless it's going to a game in person um, in, the, in the regular season, uh, hockey, you know, I'd watch it. But I, it, there's so many games, the regular season's so long. Um, I'd rather just wait for the, for, the fly, for the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with and you. And I'm being no, honest with you there. No, 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 it's cool because yeah. I, like, I look at it from that way. There, there's really no other sport like hockey and the fact that the regular season really means nothing. Like yeah. you look, you know, you look at you know the NFL where you know you obviously got to get to the playoffs to do something. Baseball. Yeah, it's like know, hey, let me know when the final two weeks of <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. season and where the standings are. Yeah, and then now now yeah. the, the the intensity definitely picks up in the postseason with hockey, and obviously the following of fans. A lot a lot more fans will pay attention to hockey in the postseason as opposed to the regular season than really any other sport. I mean, you get yeah. you get some people that you know follow basketball all season, and it goes up a little bit. But you know, in baseball or football, I think as many people pay attention to the regular season as the postseason. I'm working on that. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome, man. Now, listen, uh, you you were doing you were doing a live tweeting on uh, Geico Sports Night. What what mm-hmm. ended what ended up happening with that? Um, I still live tweet every every now and then. Okay. Um, it's just uh, it. it it got to be a little too much because I was trying to respond to everybody <laughs> while I'm anchoring the show. And I was like, you know what? I need to just focus on my show more and and then um, go from there. Uh, you know, it's just about it, – it was about priorities, really. Yeah. You know, let me just let me just focus on my show and then um, tweet before and after. Whereas, I, you know, I didn't, want, I didn't want anybody to feel bad that I didn't respond to them while I was anchoring. But it's impossible to respond to somebody – while you're anchoring, especially while you're anchoring a solo show. If it was a two-anchor show, it'd be a lot easier because, you know, you're not doing the whole show by yourself. Um, but as a solo anchor show, it was really difficult to reply to everybody while I was live tweeting. Yeah, and I, I agree yeah. with that. And I'll tell you, you, you really took on a lot with that. And, I like, when I saw when I saw you started to do it, I was like, wow, dude. I mean, it, like, I couldn't imagine being able to do that, to host a show. And, you know, I can't even, like, I can't even touch my phone when I'm, you know, Doing gotcha. my, doing my show. So I, well, I, I, you know, that I got that from, you know, after you spent a few years at ESPN, every night is like a next night coverage there. You have so many games, so many stats being flown at you. Um, after a while, it, you know, the old uh, baseball saying, uh, you start, see, you know, uh, seeing the seams in the ball and the ball starts slowing down. 
Um, so once once you do have that Espen experience, the, the, a show broadcast does slow down. You do start seeing the scenes, if you will. Um, but uh, I, I just felt bad that I couldn't respond to to, who, to everybody who was who was live tweeting. Yeah, definitely. It's like in baseball when you got like you know the pitch slows down enough and you see the runner break from first base in a hit and run play and you're able to yeah. execute it perfectly. I, I definitely yeah. see how you you know you're able to put it together. But listen, yeah. you, you're definitely a lot more talented than I am because there's no way I could do that. I mean, I think it comes to time, man. Once you're an old man, uh, you, you've seen a lot of uh, you've been you've seen a lot of trenches, if you will. <laughs> nah, that's awesome, man. Now, Once you're as old as I am. <laughs> well, listen, I, I don't think you're that much older than me. Oh, okay. <laughs> now what do you, what do you, you like, sound like a young guy uh, yeah i'm I'm young but you know then I'm, you sound I'm, youthful. I'm not i'm not that young <laughs> okay now as far as like what, what you what do you what is the biggest thing that you enjoy most about what you do is it being is it being seen is it being heard is it you know people feeding off your enthusiasm or just simply getting the information that they get off of your shows yeah uh telling the story i really love telling the story um and you know, the old-time anchors, you know, like Anchorman, oh, put me on camera. I'm not like that at all. We're a video medium. And uh, I, I firmly believe that, uh, you know, any video or any pictures will tell a better story than, than I ever could, put, you know, putting my mug on, on camera. So I really love telling uh, the story um, through video and through highlights and informing the viewer. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a journalist first and foremost. And journalism was, a, 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 you know, when it was at its peak was the fourth uh, – unofficial check on government and our, our are are to keep the public informed of what's going on in their world. And I just see sports journalism as a branch from that, you know, just keep fans. I mean, we're entertainment, but our job is to keep fans informed about what they care about the most. So yeah. that's, that's, that's where I get my enjoyment from on a, on a nightly basis. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Dude. I, I, I feel you on that one, man. Listen, I appreciate having you on, man. Listen, as far as you know, seeing you in person, it would be awesome to get a chance to meet you. Maybe you would consider coming in studio someday, but I understand you're busy. Definitely, yeah. But uh, what we'll do is we'll stay in touch. Maybe we could work out something in the future. I'd love to get you in here, be able to you know bounce ideas back and forth off you. That'd be awesome. All right, um, uh, I'd be up for it. All right, awesome. Five days of summer. Yeah, definitely, man. Listen, we'll stay yeah. in touch. I thank you for having a couple minutes today. We'll talk to you soon, Kirk. Thank you, and uh, thanks for reaching out on Twitter. Hey, anytime, man. That's it's awesome, huh? All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, have a good one. Bye. All right, that's Kirk Kamenez, anchor for SNY, host of Geico Sports Night. Uh, he does a listen. He does a great job with, uh, with with all the updates and everything. And you know, listen, one thing that you feed off of somebody right away is energy. And you know, if you got somebody that's just kind of going through the motions, you sense that you know right away. You definitely don't see that with Kirk Kamenez. Here's a guy that you know is giving you know as much passion as he possibly can in everything. And you really, you really feel it, you know, right away that the guy is really just, you know, loving what he does. And, you know, listen, I say sometimes that there's not people that love anything more than what I do. Listen, there's other people like that. And it's great to really have, uh, you know, be able to bounce some ideas off of a guy like that. So thanks to Kirk Jimenez, SNY, host the Geico Sports Night, which you see at night at usually 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Um, it's also on in the mornings and the afternoon. So, Definitely a lot of great things going on with there. But um, listen, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, com. I'm going to hit a little bit about a couple of my blog articles. But first of all, I'm going to comment on the Phillies who are playing a little better. They finally got themselves out of last place. They 
may or may not have been ignited with uh, Chase Utley coming back, though he hit a home run the other day. Uh, Ryan Howard's playing rehab games in the minors. So, you know, the, the uh, Philadelphia Phillies motto of let's hold things together until our big guys get back, which, remember, is what Jerry Manuel said when the Mets went down, is still holding up. So the Phillies are trying to just, yeah, maybe they could run off a couple wins here, get closer to 500 with the return of Utley and eventually Howard getting back, and maybe they can make a run here. You know, they're certainly missing a big piece in Roy Halladay. Not having him out there every fifth day is really hurting them. And, you know, listen, they, they're not a top-of-the-division team right now. It doesn't mean that they can't get there. It doesn't mean that they're not going to return to it. And as I've said all along, the Philadelphia Phillies are a team to beat in the National League East until they're taken out. Until we get into the second half and they're 10, 12, 15 games back. Until that happens, they still are the team to beat. Now, unfortunately, they have a, a, you know, a high climb. It's not going to be easy. It's not real easy to jump in and look at, you know, look ahead at the Mets who are ahead of them. Look ahead at the Braves and the, and the Nationals. If you're the Phillies, yeah, I, I would be a little scared right now. Because this is the first time really in the last five, six years. Or actually the last five years, five plus seasons. That they've that they've really had to look up. I mean, they've been looking down. They've been the ones making a good, very good team better, a good team great by making you know moves at the at the deadline. Now they don't know if they're going to be sellers or buyers, and I think that's a concern. Certainly with Ruben Amaro, he is really not sure yet. He's not sure if this team's going to mail it in, and he's not going to say you know mail it in. The players and the manager are never going to say mail it in. But in an executive, a general manager, a team president, when they, when they hit a certain point of the season, they do mail it in sometimes. And when, you know, if you see a guy like Shane Victorino or even Cole Hamels, which I don't think will happen, but a player like that caliber gets traded, then they're mailing in the season. They're not looking to get players back that are going to help them right away. They're looking to, number one, free salary, maybe reallocate some money in the future, and maybe, you know, bring some younger players in. And once that happens, the priority for winning really goes down to tubes now listen teams teams sometimes you know fire off that and do better you know the Phillies really started hitting their stride after they traded away Bobby Abreu but sometimes that works very often than not it doesn't and you know you'll it'll be very interesting to see as July 31st approaches whether this team is going to go that route and maybe give up on a season it would be interesting because I had the Phillies winning the NL East and, you know, to, to say that as a Met fan, it is, ah, I, I, I can't stand saying that. But I'm trying to be objective. I thought I was being objective. And I really thought that this team was better than the other teams in the division. Now, a lot has to happen to make me change my mind. A lot has to happen to make me feel like this team can be competitive again. And it certainly starts with Chase Utley back in the lineup. Certainly continues with Ryan Howard coming back. And then eventually, when Roy Halladay gets back, they got their whole team back. But the question is going to be, where are they going to be at when this all put, comes together? And the quicker they start winning, whether it's within the next week or two or a month from now, the quicker they start winning, the less in the amount of questions exist. This is a team that certainly is underachieving, but they're not the only ones. You know, you look at, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks who are not really – nobody's talking about how they have not gotten a job done after winning the division last year. Of course, the past ball show has mentioned on a lot of occasions about the Detroit Tigers and their struggles, the Los Angeles Angels and everything that I had hoped or not, not necessarily hoped but expected with this team. I thought the Angels were going to be the best team in baseball this year. 
And listen, they've certainly played a lot better of late. Albert Pujols has woken up. You know, they have gotten some energy with Mike Trout and Mark Trumbo really taking bigger roles in that offense. But they have not performed the way I expected. And I still think they're going to be a playoff team. The Texas Rangers, who stupidly, very stupidly on my part, I didn't give them the edge in the division of the American League West. I actually had them on the outside of the playoff picture. Now, listen, I could have been any more wrong. I had teams like the Angels finishing ahead of them. I had the Red Sox in the playoffs. I had the Rays in the playoffs. I had the Yankees winning the division. And, of course, I had the Tigers winning the AL Central. So all that being said, I couldn't have been wrong enough. But I was just as wrong as all of those that went you know, front runners and picked all the teams that made the playoffs last year. Now, I was wrong about the Rangers, absolutely. But you know, I could also say that, yeah, I was wrong about the Washington Nationals. How many teams picked them to be in first place at this point? So you know, when you're making predictions, it's just that, a prediction. You're trying to look into a crystal ball, and none of us are psychics. Whether, whether some of us think we are or not, we can't see what's going to happen over the course of a season. And teams develop. Nobody had the Arizona Diamondbacks last year winning the NL West and being as dominant as they were. Nobody had Ian Kennedy and Daniel Hudson anchoring a rotation that was as good as anybody in baseball last year. Nobody had J.J. Putz getting 41 saves. Nobody saw that. So does that mean nobody knows what they're talking about? No, it's a game, and that's decided on the field it's not decided on you know numbers from previous seasons and nobody gets that a lot of people do not get that that the fact that a team won a division or made the playoffs a year before does not make them favorites the next season sometimes you have to try to see through things see where teams are going to develop if the Kansas City Royals went on a run and all of a sudden were leading the division in the American League Central nobody would have said that they knew that was going to happen everybody knows about the talent they have but nobody knows if it's going to ever come to fruition nobody ever knows if it's ever going to happen whether it's this year or five years from now and you really don't know you don't know like I mentioned before about the Chicago White Sox nobody knew that Adam Dunn was going to kick it up a notch and hit home runs like he's never hit before. Nobody thought that Jake Peavy was going to be a top-of-the-rotation starting pitcher. Nobody could have predicted that Philip Humber would have thrown a perfect game this year. So all of you that think that it's just as simple as going to baseball prospectus and saying, yeah, you know, all the sabermetric stats and everything will tell you how every team's supposed to finish, you're full of crap. You don't know what you're talking about. Because you have just as much of an idea of what's going on as I do or the next guy. And you could pick teams out of a hat and have them finish in the standings according to what comes out of the hat. And you could have as good of a chance of predicting it as the so-called experts. And you can't keep going to all your legitimate sites that say they break down the stats and they figure out how many wins you're going to have. It's just as much of a guess. And that's part of the reason why I did my 30-1 to 1 MLB countdown. Because it's, you could take it into each individual mind and visualize a scenario where a team will go here or there. You know, that I could see the Texas Rangers. Maybe, I can't now, but I could before. Maybe you Darvish doesn't live up to what he thought. Maybe Josh Hamilton has some you know, problems you know, injury-wise. Maybe Adrian Beltre cannot have three consecutive solid seasons. Those are things going through my head. I'm envisioning a fantasy season. Just like anybody else that's making predictions on a Major League Baseball team. 
you know, I as much of a Met fan as I am, I did not predict that they would put things together as well as they have so far. It doesn't mean that they're a playoff contender. It doesn't mean that they're not. But trying to be objective, trying to envision in my mind how things are going to go, you know, leaves certainly you know much to be desired. Because I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm ever going to be right with my predictions. I may do predictions for each of the next 10 years and never come close to being right. But a guy could pick a number of teams out of a hat and maybe be able to get every single one right. Because it's just a guessing game. I'm trying to put my opinion on it. While, you know, Baseball Prospectus, Baseball America, ESPN, FAN, they all put their opinions in to what they think is going to be the best. And obviously on a local level, you focus on the local teams. But on a national level, you try to focus on everybody. And the bottom line is you're not going to get it right. You might get some right. I, have, I had the Dodgers winning the NL West, and so far they're leading the NL West. Does that mean that I know what I'm talking about? No. It, it just meant that I, I perceive certain things working right for them, and I may have been more right than wrong. You know, when I talk about the Detroit Tigers, who are struggling in third place in the American League Central, does that mean that I don't know crap about the Detroit Tigers? No. I went with the opinion of Prince Fielder being a big-time hitter and Justin Verlander coming off of 24 wins last year. You know, winning the MVP in the Cy Young. You know, Miguel Cabrera, all the talent that they have. I, I thought it was going to work out better. It hasn't to this point. Does that mean it won't? No. We have to see a whole second half of the season with 80-plus, almost 90 games to go in a season. So much more can happen between now and then. And that's the bottom line. You just never know. And, you know, when you think of the Colorado Rockies, the year they played the um, Boston Red Sox in the World Series, they had that big run at the end of the season where they won all those games. Nobody would have, in their brightest dreams, imagined the Rockies doing what they did. But it just shows that anything can happen. Anything. So listen, we'll get back to into you next week. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on this here. What I mentioned, I kind of teased it a little bit. That I talked about being that guy. And yes, I you know I will reluctantly say that I was that guy this weekend. The Mets played the Yankees at City Field Sunday night. Got out of work, decided to get in my car, hit the game up. You know, get up to City Field, catch it. I actually thought it was a good game, even though the Mets didn't win. It was a fun game to watch. But one thing that irritates me, and listen, I may get some enemies. I may get some people not liking me for this. I may get the person that listens to me every week and says, you do a great job on the air, but I hated when you talked about that. But I, I have a hard time with the fascination that people have in this country with waiting online for stuff. And, and I understand there's certain times where it's right. If there's a person placing an order and you're, you know, you're not going to cut in front of them. But when a group of grown men are waiting in a line to use the restaurant facilities and it's going around the stadium, I can't understand how a group of grown men will sit there and wait on a line. And every person is going to walk back to the end of the line and sit there where every single other person has been and say, hey, he got there two seconds before me, so I have to wait behind him. You get to the urinal, do what you got to do, and then you move on. And honestly, if you hate me for saying this, I'm going to say it. I was that guy that just went through the exit door, grabbed the, grabbed the urinal, did what I had to do, and left. 
and I let all these other people that seem to be content, they seem to be okay, they seem to not have a problem with waiting on a line for the rest of the game. And you know what? If you're okay with it, fine. I'm not. I got things to do. You know, maybe it's a little bit of my moxie. Maybe it's a little me coming out saying that I'm a little better than you. And, and, and I don't mean it like that. And I understand if you take it that way. But the bottom line, I was that guy. I'm sorry. You know, when you're pointing at that person that went in through the exit and cut in front of other people, that was me. I'm probably the guy on the road that is, you know, going going up in traffic instead of waiting in that line of traffic to get off the exit on a parkway. I'm probably the one merging in right before the exit starts. So, listen, if you hate me for it, I'm sorry. But, you know, listen. Life goes on. We, we all have deficiencies in our lives, and maybe that's one of my lack of strengths that I have is really patience, and I really don't have patience. But bottom line, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Next week we're going to come to you live from Bogey's Tavern in Egg Harbor, New Jersey. I got Mr. Carlucci. He's going to join us for the uh, Carlucci Show from 7 to 9 tonight. He has a very good guest coming in. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure you'd be happy to hear her. I've we honestly forgot her name. But um, next week we'll get to you. Past Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. I'm going to use the last couple minutes. I do want to talk about uh, another one of my blog postings over the last couple days. And I talked about the 1980 Houston Astros, the team that made the NLCS, the team that made it you know, very close to taking the Phillies out and making it to the World Series in a very good five-game series. Imagine how that team would have been. If they had J.R. Richard all season. J.R. Richard put up ridiculous numbers in his career. In 1976, he was 20 and 15, 275 ERA. 1977, he was 18 and 12 with a 297 ERA. 18 and 11 after that, 18 and 13. This all star break, he was a starter in the all star game. With a 10-4 and four record, a 190 ERA, and 17 starts, four complete games, four shutouts, 113 innings, 119 strikeouts after two 300-strikeout seasons in a row. Imagine if you added this guy to the team that ended up winning the National League Western Division for the first time in its history. Imagine if this team had J.R. Richard. I think they win easily over the Phillies in the NLCS that year, and they end up taking the Royals in the World Series. That's my opinion. But I absolutely think that this team could have been that much better with J.R. Richard, and unfortunately that's the, the, the story and everything that happened with him was very sad. And, you know, I obviously wish him the best, and you know, I kind of feel bad that he went through what he went through. But uh, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, JohnPielli.com. We'll catch you next week on the other side from Bogey's Tavern in Egg Harbor, New Jersey. Enjoy your week. Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. What the f*** you think?